What's going on, everybody? Hope you're having a great month so far. Doug here, one of the hosts, producers, and creators of the John Rev Your Life podcast, bringing you a review roundup episode this week. Listen, I am so sorry. First off the bat, I am apologized. You know, it's been a crazy kind of past couple of weeks with the holidays. I got sick again. I was traveling a little bit. I had to buy a new car. So it's just been kind of all over the place in terms of reviews and the podcast. Um, but don't worry. There's going to be accompanying a full re- full episode of the John Review Life podcast with me and the boys this weekend. We are back, I promise. Uh, but again, my apologies. It's been a grand, crazy couple of weeks. You know, life, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. Um, saw a couple of movies, mostly on streaming, not so much in the theaters, but got a lot of reviews coming your way. I got stuff like Dream Scenario, um, Maestro, who I can't wait to see. Um, and Aquaman 2 is coming out. I know Nick and I will definitely see that movie next week, opening weekend. Um, so, guys, see Killers, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I know Grand Turismo is going to come out on Netflix sometime soon. So, I got a lot of reviews for you guys down the pipeline before the year ends. But in the meantime, guys, as always, if you're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button, leave a review, leave a rating. You know, it means the world to us. We love hearing your feedback. It helps, it helps, show, it helps the show out so much. The support from you all the past year has been tremendous it's been so overwhelming the best best possible way um couldn't do the show without you guys so thank you so much for your ongoing support it means the world to us but have no fear on this review right up episode uh i will be reviewing two michael fassbender movies believe it or not i'm reviewing uh data fincher's the killer and taika watiti's movie next goal wins one i absolutely love and the other eh, not so much and it, it's you'll probably you'll probably know what which one I love, which one I don't like during this review, obviously. But uh, yeah, guys, let's get into it, shall we? So, off the bat, I'm going to review the one I love the most, which is, drum roll please, David Fincher's The Killer. David Fincher, to me, has been a big part of my love for cinema for, I want to say since I was in 7th grade. I remember seeing The Social Network when I was in 7th grade, 2010, and the movie kind of just like stuck with me more than anything. I just... Remember at that time, I was kind of getting into, getting really into more and more movies, kind of like seeing more movies that are kind of like, aside of my kind of like what I would watch, you know, traditionally. And I remember everyone in my school was like, we're going to see Social Network. And I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't really know the movie. I mean, a lot on Facebook, obviously, but I know like, they know the whole ins and outs about the story or whatever. Um, you know, I wasn't really a big biopic, obviously. I was like 13, 12 at the time. But everyone in my school wanted to see this movie. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see this movie. But I didn't know what it was about. You know, I'm more into kind of like the traditional action, you know, like, you know, superhero stuff, whatever. And I remember sitting down in this movie. And the movie just changed my view on filmmaking, you know, writing, uh, cinematography, sound, acting, everything. And it's close to my top 10. It's not in my top 10 of all time. But if I had to replace something, I would put that movie in there for sure. Uh, it's a perfect movie. It's a masterpiece, if you ask me. So since then, I saw stuff like Young know, Gone Girl and um, his version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo came out. Um, I love Gone Girl. His remake of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was okay for what it was. But obviously, I went back and rewatched, you know, Fight Club and uh, Benjamin Button, and Zodiac, and Seven, obviously. And he's becoming one of my favorite filmmakers more and more with each rewatch of his movies um sorry mank came out as well during covid uh but no not so much i was i was, I was a fan of but it's his movies have been really being kind of a big part of like how i see movies differently the cinematography score direction somewhat um so he's quick he's kind of slowly becoming one of my favorite filmmakers of all time because of just how his detail it's everything the smallest thing is very important in his movies so i heard he's making a movie for netflix i was like okay 
I do like seeing his movies on the big screen, but I get it. You know, I think he has a deal with Netflix, I think with Mindhunter and Mank, whatever. And I think the killer was playing in select, um, select markets. I think Phoenix out here got a, I think one theater had it, but like I couldn't make out the time to go out there and go see it. It was very kind of like out of the way. So I was like, all right, I'll see it eventually. I may watch it on Netflix. I missed it on theater. So okay, cool. I'm watching it on Netflix. And I was kind of late to it because I was doing something for work, doing other screenings, whatever, doing more stuff for the podcast. And people were saying it's very divisive. And I was like, okay, critics loved it. Audiences hated it. And I was like, oh, didn't love it as much. And I was like, huh. Now, Joel saw and Joel gave me kind of his thoughts about it like, off air. And I was like, okay. And I was hearing this like really mixed things about it. And the IMDb reviews weren't that best. And I'm like, okay, well, it's a good Rotten Tomatoes critic score. But, you know, that's, that's always not always the case with movies that I like or don't like. Um, so I watched, I think it was like a week or two ago. I put it on. I was excited, but I was nervous. Guys, I absolutely love this movie so much. Oh my gosh. I love this movie. I love this movie. I love this movie. Uh, it's, I think to my top three now this year, uh, this to me is David Fincher coming back, kind of returned to form of his, you know, serial killer, killer, kind of like dark twisted minded characters. Um, and I love, I love when he kind of goes that kind of route with his movies like Zodiac and Gone Girl and Seven. Um, it just, to me, we kind of return to form of his kind of this, like his, you know, iconic filmography and his directing style. Um, I thought Mank was fine. It was okay. It's very forgettable. If you ask me, I remember seeing it with my parents during COVID and we were on Netflix and I was like, it's a adventure movie, but it kind of felt like this kind of really kind of weird one-off that he just did. Um, I know his dad, I know his dad wrote the script, which is really kind of really kind of like lovely in its own way, very poetic and very cathartic. But for some reason, it just did not sit with me. I thought it was kind of just like slow and boring. I love Gary Oldman, but it just didn't do anything for me. So, but this to me, I was like, cool. He's going back to form, back to kind of his, you know, his, you know, traditional kind of filmmaking with like the top, the dark subjects about killers and, you know, murder and stuff like that. I'm like, cool. I'm there. Guys, because I love this movie so much. Michael Fassbender to me is one of my favorite actors. I think he's very underrated when it comes to like really kind of good character studies. Uh, I think he's great as Magneto in the first two of the X-Men, his X movies, the last two, Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix, not so much. But he's a great actor. One of my favorite actors to watch. Uh, you know, he's great in Glorious Bastards. Um, he's a guy that's like very, just, he's very, he's sinister, but like you can like, for the, you can like his characters because his performances are very, very intriguing and very just like oh wow this is this is something this is this is like very something different in a way and i thought he was great as steve jobs i love that movie so much too very kind of humble brag love that movie and he's very slept on too uh but to me he's great in a lot of things i didn't see the snowman here it's pretty bad it's pretty bad i may watch it i may watch it because of how bad it is but he's really a phenomenal actor. I think he's really good. It really kind of singular or kind of like the main focus of characters. He shines. Uh, like I said, this movie, I just, uh, I was, just, when it ended, I was like, oh, I want to watch it again. Uh, like I said, he's, Dave Fincher's back in his element. Um, Turn off the good, of, as always, you know, the, the way Fincher's movies really intrigue me is the way he plays with sound and score and, direct, and cinematography. They kind of like all go together at the same time. They all kind of like blend together in a really kind of like poetic way. Uh, great soundtrack. By the Smiths. I'm a new Smiths fan thanks to Zeta, my girlfriend. And the score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who do all, most of his movies, is so haunting. It's chilling, but it's very electrifying. At the same time, you're like, oh, this is like the vibe it's setting is very, it's very, it's, the mood it sets is very vibey and it's very like, okay, we're into this. Let's go on this route, whatever. Um, but 
the why I was really impressed with this movie a lot was the how Fincher and his team really kind of plays with sound narration and how the sounds change with every every location that they're he's in or the characters are in. You hear the sound change. If you, if you have a good um, a sound system, r- listen to it. Listen to how the sound changes in certain buildings, outside, inside, um, where they are, you know, position wise. It's very fascinating to see how he plays with sound. And I was like, I kind of like this because it kind of makes you feel like you're there or you feel like the area changing, whatever, too. Like, a lot of his narration, too. I think a lot of people had criticized with the narration. I was like, I thought the narration was really interesting, really intriguing to me. But people were like, oh, it's it's so slow, the narration, talking a lot. It adds to the story. It adds to the story. You, you're in the mind of this person who's the, who plays an assassin. Now, again, for context, basically the killer is Michael Fassbender's playing an assassin um, hit you know, I got hitman for hire, and he's on a job in France, and the the job goes wrong, and then he becomes the hit, which is and it was very kind of like people, like, oh, it's very kind of cliche, kind of like you know, story we've seen that, seen that before. Yes, but it's the way that David Fincher films this movie. He directs Michael Fassbender, his performance from Fassbender, and the way the story goes, it's just so intriguing to me. And I was just like, wow, I'm in for this ride. And the pace went by so fast where I was like, this movie is awesome. No one to end. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of elements that really work. And to me, like this is I feel like I'm watching an old school Fincher movie with an updated kind of like, you know, time for what it is. Um there's a shot in this movie that I really, really do enjoy that if you know other movies too, there's a shot in Gone Girl where um uh, ben Affleck is in the is in the airport. He's been you know just got called out on the news about being you know um, a wife killer, and he's in this kind of crowd of people in the airport, and he puts his hat down. He, kind of, he looks in the camera, he kind of puts his hat down, and Fincher has the camera focused on a bunch of people, and Ben Affleck's a pretty tall dude. The people surrounding him, and you know the camera's on this on the shot, but Ben Affleck has his head down, kind of trying to stay low key, and he walks out. In this movie, same thing. Michael Fassbender walked out of the plane. People around him in the airport, and the camera is focused on these people. But you still have the tension on Michael Fassbender's character, and kind of like the hat down, glasses on, trying to be low key. And I was like, it could be intentional, cannot be intentional. But I love that kind of little callback. If you caught it, great. If not, again, probably speculating. But to me, it felt very similar to the scene from Gone Girl, which I loved. Uh, uh, the hum- again, the humor in this to me, a lot of people saying this is the funniest movie of the year. I don't agree with that personally. I think it's the funniest movie of the year, but the humor really does work in a very dark way. It's very dark humor, but it made me laugh. A lot of people kind of highlighting that like, it's funny. It's very funny at times when it's not when it's not trying to be, or it's funny in a way you didn't expect. Like there's a there's a, there's a John Wilkes Booth line about like that he says that had me cracking up, and I'm like. It's only something to laugh at, but the the context of wh- how he said it and why he said it is kind of funny. You're like, that's kind of it's, it's a very genius line, um, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Uh, and a lot of funny moments with throughout the movie that are very like again like humorous that don't like would not like, kind of like, are trying to be funny, but the way these play off is very humorous in their own way. The narration to me was very similar to Gone Girl when uh, Rosamund Pike as Amy kind of narrates with, with, throughout the entire movie. It felt very, the structure of it felt very similar um, in this movie where Fassbender would talk a certain way. It had a lot of flashbacks. It reminds me a lot of, he said, Rosamund Pike is Amy in Gone Girl. The way of like the, dun, 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 dun. It had a rhythm to it. it. had a rhythm, had a, had like a structure to it. And I was like, 
I think it's kind of from David Fincher's direction, obviously, directing, you know, both Rosamund Pike and Michael Fassbender. And I like that similarity to it because they're both, they're both, you're both in the minds of two different people, but they have a little bit of a similarity if their own, similarity in their own ways of like twisted and their dark nature. That was very kind of fascinating that you can explore that route again. Um, I like, and you probably heard my, my top 10 of the year. End of the year episode, John Wick still my favorite movie of the year. I love assassin, I love hitman movies like this. I love like, like John Wick. This to me is not John Wick, and I like that for what it is. To me, it was kind of like the antithesis of John Wick. You know, meaning that it wasn't action, 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 action. This movie's more of a, sl- a slower burn, but this movie's more of like a hey, this hitman is more calculated. He, he's more kind of prepared. He's more kind of like he's prepping his um, his his targets. John Wick has some preparation, but mostly kind of like, hey, throw him in there, boom, 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 action, crazy scenes, you know, stunts, you know, sword fighting, you know, samurais, uh, you know, crazy stuff in Egypt and Casablanca. This movie takes its time to show uh, Fassbender, who again, character name is the killer, who is prepared, he's he's cold, he's calculated, he's very in sync with his his motives. And I like that it showed more of like, hey, this is his preparation for each kill. We're on the ride with them from the start. What's, what's going to do? And then his kind of aftermath. And I like that. It wasn't John Wick. It wasn't Equalizer. It wasn't in the Liam Neeson movies. It, this was a more calculated, was more of like, a, hey, this is more of a slower structure type of assassin movie. And I appreciate it for that too. And I think you will too, personally. Like also, I mean, there is action in this movie. Sorry. There's action in this movie for sure. Don't get me wrong. But there, when there is action, hand-to-hand combat it's brutal, and I was like, "Whoa!" And I was like, "Hold on, now this is this is going pretty, pretty bad. It's going kind of like the raid kind of violence and um, sh- uh, choreography in terms of uh, fighting." And I was in stunts. I was like, "Whoa!" Like that, but didn't have to rely on action all the time. It's more about your. It's a character study in this mind of this assassin, what he's going through, what he's thinking, how he's going to prep for all of this kind of revenge. And I like that. With the fight scene, I thought the yeah the choreography was very interesting and like I said reminded me a little bit of the raid and kind of like a little bit of other action movies. Um, at first, the way the camera was shaking, I was like, "This is kind of weird." It was like kind of threw me off a bit. I was like, "Wait a second, like, ha- wait, slow, slow down a little bit, like you know, like relax." The camera's kind of shaking a little bit, going left and right, and I was like, "Whoa, like this kind this is kind of like this is a little little too much." But then, kind of you kind of get used to it as the fight goes on. It was fine. Um, Again, people were are saying the pace was so slow. Like, this is slow. This is such a slow movie. There's too much talking. I love the pace. I thought the pace was perfect. I said when we ended, I was like, I want another hour, another half an hour of this movie. I wanted, I wanted more. I was like, I want more of this. I want, to, I want to live in this world. I want, I want to see this character kind of like develop more and kind of like go on to the next, you know, whatever thing. And I was like, oh man. So to me, I was like, I like the slow development of how the killer preps. Excuse, finishes and cleans up his kill. I thought, like, wow, the way that they showed all of this, it wasn't like, boom, the kill happens and walks away so cool, like really Hollywood. No, it shows of like how he cleans up his his mess. And I was like, I like that Fincher is showing the detail of like everything. It wasn't like a one, two, three, done. It's a whole process, and you're seeing how the whole process kind of unveils now. He kind of does his job. I like that about it. So for me, when people say, oh, so slow, it's so boring. Yeah, it's your opinion. I respect it, but I was very kind of like I was expecting a very slower movie from what I've heard from other people, my peers, stuff like that, reviews. 
And to me, I was like, this pace is awesome. The pace, I think it kind of flew by for a two-hour movie. It flew by for me really quick. So, again, that's just me. Um, then Ganesha said, uh, Charles Parnell plays the lawyer in this. Uh, you saw him. He was in, I think he was, um, what was he? He was in Top Gun Maverick. He was in, uh, he was in uh, Mission Possible Dead Reckoning. Um, he's becoming one of my favorite actors to, to, to look for because... I thought he, I, I love his voice. His voice is very soothing. It's very kind of like, it's very, it's very, it's, it's soothing, but also has a very kind of like strong force behind it. And I like that about it. Who do you, who do you play in Top Gun? I'm going to go with him right now. He, um, he played uh, second command, you know, to, um, to Warlock. He was, he was Warlock. He was second command to, you know, with uh, John Hammond, those scenes. Um, but he also has a great screen presence too. When you watch him, you're kind of like your eyes are on him. The way he's talking, the way he's kind of like delivering his lines, it's very attractive and it's very intriguing. And I'm like, huh. I thought his small role as well in Dead Reckoning Part uh, One, Mission Impossible, same thing. When he's on screen, his voice is very commanding. He commands the scene. He he wants the, he wants the screen time. And, and same thing with this smaller role, but um, I think it was in Barry as well. He's a great voice, but really, I think he's been one of my favorite, act- favorite actors to watch to look for because he really does command the command the screen and has a really good, strong screen presence whenever he's on. Uh, again, love that again. Small role, but again, hope seeing more things after this. Um, a lot of people were saying, I got to confirm this, but a lot of people were saying that the opening credits are the same people that made Fight Club, and you could tell there's very similar opening credits to like Fight Club and his version of Girl the Dragon Tattoo. Fincher's version of Girl with Dragon Tattoo. And right away I was like, oh yeah, it's giving me Fight Club vibes. And you know, I'm not the biggest Fight Club fan personally. It's good. It's a little rated if you ask me. Um, but it's the opening scenes are kind of like, oh yeah, this is David Fincher back doing his thing. And I'm like, all right. It sets the mood right away. You're like, okay, I'm in it. And I, right, right away I was like, okay, I'm in it, I'm in it so far. Uh, this So... Guy who wrote this, he also wrote Seven, which again, David Fincher is one of his first movies, obviously. Uh, Edward Kevin Walker. Um, I don't think, I think, except for Seven, I want to say, what have I, what have I, what is he, what is he written that I'm like, oh, it's pretty good. I, again, I like Seven a lot. I didn't care, I didn't care for that Wolfman remake that was with Benicio del Toro that was kind of just like all over the place. Uh, Sleepy Hollow, I'm not the biggest fan of. Uh, but to me, this is really cool. I, when they announced that it was Kevin, it was Andrew, Andrew Kevin Walker, the writer of Seven, reuniting with David Fincher. I was like, ah, here we go. You sold me already. So I, I think Seven is a great movie. I think it's a fantastic script. It's iconic in very own ways. Great dialogue between for Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Um, and I was like, cool. And to me, this is like a great reunion for both David Fincher and Kevin Walker. And personally, I think probably the best script since Seven. In my humble opinion, uh, the I'm in no lads too about other movies. The wardrobe and costume design has been very fun for me to watch in other movies, whether it's the holdovers or whether it's stuff like this, um, even stuff like you know, Hunger Games, uh, Battle of Songbirds and Snakes. Uh, the the wardrobe in this felt really iconic in a way of like when he's when he's when he's kind of out and about, he's wearing this kind of like floral Hawaiian shirt with you know a little bit of fedora, and I was like, oh, it's so different for like. An assassin, you know, really like the dark leather, kind of the all dark, you know, it's all dark clothing, or very cool. But he's wearing kind of like a oversized, you know, floor show that the hat with some like kind of like 
somebody glasses, and I'm like, I like that. I like that because again, it's also kind of like the antithesis of what other assassins and other you know hitman movies wear. Like John Wick with really cool suits, James Bond has a really cool suits, and you know it's it's different. It's different. It was kind of like it was a different approach to it. And I was like, I again in the wardrobe kind of shows for itself what this movie is, what the character is, stuff like that. And I appreciated that. Um, in a way, it's he's another character like this to me. Is like he's not a good character in terms of morals or what he stands for, but you still root for him. He's uh, an anti-hero in a way, but he's not, he's not likable. He's not, not a likable like person. He, he ends up doing these fucked up things, but you root for him. Same way you can, can root for John Wick to kill everyone and get, come out alive. Like you root for these guys because you're on the journey with them and you, you want to see them kind of complete their mission and complete, complete the, their arc basically. And I thought same thing in this movie. It was like, cool. I, not he's not a, a morally good dude, but his, his it has a charm to it where you can like you know watch him kind of like through this entire movie through his arc and see what happens next. And I'm like it it worked it worked for me 100. percent Michael Fassbender I think took a break from my from my heard from other podcasts and other interviews is that I think after Dark Phoenix, which was a ugh, not the best way to end the Fox version of X Men, but you know here we are. I think he took a four-year break, and he was doing stuff like this, and Next Goal Wins, and I think he had other movies down the pipeline. Uh, I like seeing him back in leading role. Like I said, I haven't seen The Snowman. I heard it's terrible, but I heard like, he tried to save it for what it is. Um, you know, like I said, he's... Assassin's Creed, not the best movie, but I thought there was parts where he was, he was good in. Um, so I think he, I'm, I think maybe he tried to take the four-year break to kind of reassess to kind of just like, hey, you want, I'm going to take a break from acting, focus on my family, you know, my you know, my life, whatever. Respectable. So I think it's I think it's really cool that he has two movies out right now. I'll, I'll get to my, you know, next Gold Wins review after The Killer, obviously. But it's, I'm glad he kind of like took a break to reassess. And I think the way you come back on top is doing a David Fincher movie like this. I think this was a very smart move for himself and it's for a career. So kudos to that. Um, I think this, this was the right movie to make a kind of like a soft career reboot. Michael Fassbender is also one of those actors too that like he doesn't have to say much, and a lot of his performance in this movie is based on his eyes and, and his interactions with himself and the people he encounters. And I think that kind of says a lot to him as a, as an actor as a performer that if you can say a lot with your eyes or your kind of like your 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 motion and body language shows your range as an actor. Again, I thought that his his scenes in Glorious Bastards are phenomenal. But so you have Tarantino writing your your stuff. I think, again, the first two X-Men movies that he was in, First Class and uh, Days of Future Past, plays a great job mimicking or playing his own version of Magneto compared to, you know, Sir Ian McKellen. It's, he's a very, again, he, he he captures the screen, he wants the performance, all eyes are on him, but in this movie, I like that he kind of, like, relied more on his movements, his eyes, his gestures, because a lot of actors have a hard time kind of, like, either overdoing it, or not doing it as much, but in this, he does a great job, kind of like doing it all together, saying a, saying a lot in his eyes, or saying a lot of things about saying too much, and the way he encounters other people and other killers, other assassins, other people that he, other people that are part of the job. It's it's interesting seeing people like talk so much, and the response is very little, similar to what John Wick to a degree, and but the way that he's kind of sitting in certain scenes, the way he's kind of looking at people, he's saying he's doing a lot. Without doing without doing a lot, and I'm like, this is really genius. I think it's probably a good direction from David Fincher. Probably could be in the script, or it could have been character thing that 
Fassbender wanted to embody in this. I thought it was really fascinating to watch him throughout the entire movie just simply nod or wink or look at someone and you're like, oh, yeah, I think he's trying to, you know, communicate this, but without saying anything. I thought it was very fascinating. I think it was a very cool technique as an actor. To me, this felt like a victory lap for David Fincher. I think last movie kind of felt like a kind of greatest hits of his career so far, whether it's Gone Girl, whether it's Seven, whether it's Social Network, whether it's Zodiac, stuff like that. Um, there are a lot, Fight Club, there's a lot of kind of callbacks to his filmmaking and his his uh, directorial style. Oh, I was like, oh, cool. It's cool to see him kind of like get back to, uh, back in his element. He's definitely bringing a lot of things that he's learned over the years in all his movies. And like I said, it felt like kind of the greatest hits for him. And I hope after this, he kind of stays in this kind of work, stays in this kind of element, you know. Again, another Mank, cool. I'll watch it. Not, not thrilled about it, but I get it. But, you know, he does a really good job of kind of just like the human study of these people. And a lot of them are not good people. Girl the Dragon, Girl, the Dragon Tattoo had bad people. You know, Gone Girl, not so great people. This, not so great people. Zodiac, not so great people. But, like, he's really good at showing character character natures and character studies of certain how certain people act and like their mind and what they're going through, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish. And I thought that cool. I hope he kind of stays with this route. Again, very curious what he does, but I think this is really cool coming him coming back to his kind of element as a filmmaker. I did have some cons. I will have some unfortunately I love this movie again. Top 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 three of the year for sure so far. But it's this is kind of like more like a my personal issue I had with it was that I really wish Netflix takes would take more theatrical risks. I think it's been a year since we had uh, Glass Onion Theaters, uh, you know, Knives Out 2, and probably my, on this podcast before. That, to me, was very weird because it was only like 700 theaters, and Netflix goes, oh, it was a flop. They didn't give enough time for that movie to, to accomplish what they wanted to do. And they give it a week, and they go, oh, it's a flop. And you look at the numbers, the, the numbers were pretty numbers were pretty good for a very, very limited release. I get it. I think he has I think Fincher has a deal with Netflix. I respect it. That's where the money's at. Streaming is very popular as a, at more than ever. But to me, I love this movie, but I really do think I would probably love it even more if I saw it in a theater. Again, that's on me too. Again, we had one theater in AZ playing it. I could have gotten out there, but again, Tommy didn't work out. But I think this should have been a movie that they could have invested in a lot of more theaters or theatrical. Give it a full, give it a full, like really wide release, like they did like Glass Onion for a week. Put them in Regals, put them in AMC's, put them in you know whatever Cinemarks, Harkins, the whole you know whatever uh, Alamo Draft Houses. Just I think this could have been a movie that could have been really something special, more special, or maybe more quote unquote attainable for me more of a mass market audience. So. I regret not seeing it in theaters, but I really do think that Netflix should invest in this movie. Should invest in a theatrical release for this movie um, down the road. I hope they do. I hope they do more theatrical release, more large theatrical release, not just in select theaters here and there or select markets. Because I think this movie could have been a bit bigger if that was the case. But again, more of a personal issue than anything else. Like I said, the fight scene. Like I said I had a problem with the shaky camera at first. Um, I don't know if this is a type of camera work that should be repeated again in other fight scenes, whether in Fincher's filmography or movies down the road, 
But to me, it just kind of felt like, well, this, this is like, it was shot really weird. I was like, oh, it, kind of, it threw me through the loop. Again, it, I got used to it at, at the end, but I wouldn't want to see this kind of thing become a, a thing or become like a more of like a mainstream thing in other movies. Uh, the narration, narration, I don't have a problem with it, but I can definitely see the repetitive nature of it at, at times where like, there are times where you just, you just talk and just to talk. I mean, I talk to just talk, I mean, that's why we have a podcast now, but it's definitely a point where you can be like, all right, so this is a bit a little repetitive for what's tr- what trying to accomplish. So I get it. Didn't bother me. It's a little bit of a nitpick. Tilda Swin, who's a phenomenal actress, oh, like the like, top tier actress, I felt like she's a smaller role. And I thought she was kind of a bit wasted in terms of like her performance. I think she's very talented. I think she has a lot to offer as an actress. I think when she's on screen too, she has a really big, strong presence as well. It, to me, I was like, okay, like, I don't know why they picked her. I mean, I, I get what, she's a top-tier A-list actor, don't get me wrong. But I think they kind of underutilized her to a degree. Her her scene with Fassbender in the, in, in the restaurant is electrifying. And the way she's talking to him, the way they're kind of like interacting, whatever, it's very haunting, it's very gripping. And the cinematography and the no music behind in the background is very, 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 you, you're, it's, you're mesmerized by this scene. But... I kind of wish they kind of utilized her more in this role for me, something bigger or for a different role. But again, it's more of like thinking like, hey, you know what? I think she's very talented. But again, I think Fincher, Fincher used her the best, best he could. But I do think she could, I think she's a bit wasted in terms of performance and her amount of screen time. Um, There's one thing, I guess, on the, I watched it again with Zeta, like me a few, few days later because I loved it. There's one kind of setup with this one character he's kind of, he's kind of like looking at during an airport airplane scene, and the way they kind of shoot this, the way they kind of, the way they shoot this kind of like folks on it, like oh like where are they going with this? And I think it was more of a paranoia thing for for the character for like the you know, fast minute what he's going through stuff like that. Which like again I get it, but they spent do spend a lot of time, and I was like, well, what was the the per, what was kind of like the purpose of that or to me i kind of wish they kind of made it part of the story like hey you know there's looking at this kind of setting something up but it's i still have an issue that kind of had no no impact to this overall story except for like kind of like adding to the paranoia kind of like the uncanny nature of every of everything um and yeah there's a few different scenes where i was kind of like okay this could have been like taken taken out of the the movie i mean it's kind of just like kind of like certain like lingering shots or kind of like scenes that kind of got on, went on too long i was like oh, this could have been a little trimmed a little bit for the final scene but it's more nitpicking um so yeah i mean again i i wouldn't call it it's um i think also too i mean i want to address it to the ending people are like i think it's terrible i think it's terrible i'm like i like the ending i think a second time the first time i was kind of like okay i understand it but why did this happen I think I was talking to Joel about it off air, and I was like, oh, okay. And then I did some more kind of like reading more articles about it, watched some YouTube videos about it too. And then when I watched it again with Zeta, like a few days later, I was like, oh, you know what? I I, 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 I appreciated it more than the first time. People were like, oh, it's the worst ending ever. I'm like, no, if you look back and, and they see, and you, and you explain like, hey, like, hey, you know, this, that, whatever shirt, this part, this part, or this, it makes sense because it's, you realize the A, B, and C. So on a second watch, I like the ending a little bit more, but I can't not argue that it's a little anticlimactic to a degree. But I think I do appreciate it at the ending how it wasn't what I expected, and I like that for what it is. 
Uh, but yeah, guys, again, I love this movie. I if you're on Netflix, watch this movie. You know, it's a holiday. If you watch it with the holidays, watch it with people that like the kind of movies. If you're like, kind of like the serial killer, kind of assassin, you know, hitman kind of movie kind of fan, or kind of like dark genre David Fincher fans, this movie for you. Watch it. I think it's really great. Um, probably won't get any Oscars, unfortunately. I think it's definitely worth a lot of Oscars in terms of like screenplay and, um, you know, cinematography, direction, acting, stuff like that. A score and sound design is in top tier. Um, but yeah, I love this movie. Again, I'll probably watch it again, honestly, because I, th- I thought it was just, you, you pick up more things with each with, with each rewatch. Um, I think it's probably David Fincher's one of his best movies in a long time. So I will give this movie a really strong 9 out of 10. Again, top three of the year. Is it a perfect movie? No, but to me, I just was... I, I just, again, I loved it. I was just, I was mesmerized by it. I was I was captured by it. So I think it's definitely worth the watch for anybody. Um, but yeah, guys, Killers are now streaming on Netflix. Alrighty. So the next on this review roundup episode is another Michael Fassbender movie. As I mentioned, this is Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins. Um, for some context too, of, of course, Taika Waititi to me. Him and I have a very strange history, I would say. I mean, I remember watching him in Green Lantern when I was, no, 13, 14 years old. And I was like, that was kind of funny. And then I remember in college, someone said, hey, go watch this movie called um, What We Do in the Shadows and uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, I think it's called. And like this guy's like, this guy's really kind of like unique and very crafty. And I was like, okay. And they're like, yeah, this guy's going to do Thor Ragnarok. And I was like, oh, another Thor movie? I was like, at the Dark, at the dark World, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of done with Thor. Again, love Chris Hemsworth, but I was like, eh. and also I thought I thought Age of Ultron was a break kind of like let down for me. I was like, eh, I guess, another Thor movie. I'm like, no, this, this is going to be very different. This is going to be like, this is going to be a different approach to it. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember me and some friends saw it opening night through you know through our through our apartment uh, college apartments or whatever they had like a booming night out for the students and I remember everyone was like clapping and loving it and my roommate and I at the time we were kind of like that wasn't that great and people were like no it's amazing it's, it's so good guys this is this is like this is like the best Thor movie ever and like everyone else loved it everyone like the it got best Thor reviews best opening weekend for a Thor movie and to me I was kind of like it was not that funny I thought it was kind of like whatever but I got like crucified for that. They were like, "You don't understand. It's this is like the reinvention of Thor." And I'm like, "I like some things about it." But I stopped. It was just not funny. I thought to me, it came out like two or three months after Guardians Volume Two, and I thought like, yeah, I, I also was the biggest fan of Guardians Volume Two. I love the first Guardians, but Volume Two, I was like, it was too jokey. Like everyone had a joke. I mean, it was everything we ever seen was jokey, jokey, joke. This to me kind of felt like the leftover kind of like table scraps of Guardians, but with Thor. I thought it was just kind of came out, you know, too soon. It kind of came out too too soon after Guardians Volume Two, or it was trying to copy James Gunn's kind of vibe and style. And you know what? It's, it wasn't for me. People love the movie. If you love that movie, it's awesome. I wish I wish I liked it more the way more people did. Not for me. And then he and then it came out. Then Jojo Rabbit came out, and I was like, oh, this is like a. World War Two Hitler Nazi comedy question mark? This guy who did Thor Ragnarok, and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I like I like I like Taika as a personality. I like like him in interviews, stuff like that. I think he's kind of he's very quick and very witty. Um, we kind of jump very, very sharp in terms of kind of like you know his comedic timing, whatever. And I absolutely just adored Jojo Rabbit. I remember seeing it at a screening through college. I just love this movie. I thought it was just it was the way it was written. It reminded me a lot of. Um, Life is beautiful. 
um, in terms of kind of like how serious, you know, the nature of dealing with Holocaust and Hitler and Nazis, but like you still like have some comedy and light out of it. And I thought it was just performances were like through the roof stellar. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't like the Ragnarok, but I love this kind of movie. And I was like, this is fun. These are my top 10 of the year. I was so happy that he won the best adapted screenplay, or whatever. Um, it just worked again, despite being such a, you know, unsettling, you know, environment of the movie itself. You can still have you still had fun with it. You still like you had there was a, it was a lot of heart, a lot of emotion to it. I thought Taika Waititi did a phenomenal job of kind of like balancing both everything as an act and acting in it, writing it, directing in it. I think he did a great job. So I was like, okay, cool. I want more of this. I heard at the time like this like this thing, November 2019, like yeah, he's gonna do a movie about like this like worst soccer team in America's American Samoa. And I was like, oh, I kind of like the idea. And I think COVID got, I think COVID delayed it. I think they were, I think they got, I think they were done shooting this movie like in November before COVID got delayed. And then of course, Army Hammer was in it. And then they, they and he got, you know, his, you know, that whole thing happened. So I think, I think they had to reshoot a lot of stuff because, I mean, it was a smaller role, but they had to reshoot a lot of stuff because, you know, Army Hammer was still in it. Um, and I think in that time, uh, Taika did Thor Love and Thunder. And personally, I was kind of like oh, another Thor, another Thor movie. I was like, I, I mean, loved him in Infinity War and Endgame, loved him in that, but in Cameron Thor Ragnarok. Remember, I think Nick and I we saw it Thor opening night in IMAX, the Love and Thunder a year ago, and people were like, "Oh yeah, it's it's, it's fine. Like, oh, it's not as good as Thor Ragnarok." And I was like, "All right, whatever." And for what it was, I kind of liked Love and Thunder more than Ragnarok, and I was like, "Oh, I because I think I knew I think I knew what to expect this time around." I love the scenes of the Guardians of the Galaxy in the beginning. So I knew going in what it was. But I just remember people saying, fuck Taika Waititi, he ruined Thor for me. And I was like, wow. I guess I guess you all felt how I felt with Thor Ragnarok. I feel opposite with Love and Thunder. I mean, people were just so mad. They were like, he's, he's ruined the MCU. Like, they were so quick to, like, change on him. And I was like... Guy who won the Oscar about a year, about two years ago for Jojo Rabbit. Now you all hate him, and then the discourse was like more and more and more. I thought Taika was hilarious in Free Guy. I think he and him and uh, I think his kind of timing in that movie was great because it was a smaller role, but you kind of being Taika in a way. I know him and Ryan Reynolds are like our besties in real life, but man, oh man, uh, the people just turned on Taika so much. I heard I heard his show's really good on H- uh, Hulu. Um, Reservation Dogs on my watch list. Uh, but man, I, the discourse around him just changed. And I was like, really? Like, it was so quick to like turn on him. And again, I have problems with Love and Thunder. Don't get me wrong. I thought Love Christian Bale. I thought it was kind of wasted too. I'm like, you have Christian Bale, one of the best actors of our generation. And he's kind of playing like a really kind of one-noted, jokey, kind of like not explored enough villain. I had a problem with that. But except I had I had a better time with that than I did with Ragnarok. Um, but yeah, I just remember being like I'm done with Taika. I'm I'm I'm, I'm Taika with TD out, and I was like, all right, I give the guy a break. I think he's proved himself to be a good filmmaker and a good actor. But you know, teach their own. But I was really hyped for this one. I remember the trailer came out like over the summer, or whatever. The tra- trailers had me laughing out loud. Like the scene where like they're trying. Like, uh, you know, shoot the goal, whatever. But anyway, so basically, the this movie's next goal one is basically a true story. True story about a team in America, American Samoa um, that they've never scored a goal in the history of the um, 
of the nation's team. And they're just like, they're just desperate for a goal. They have, they have lost repeatedly and the, you know, qualifiers, everything, regionals, like they're like the worst team in the world, but they're just very positive and very like, uplifting people. And I, and I like, you can't, you kind of root for that. So this movie is kind of basically about fish out of water kind of story. Michael Fassbender plays this coach from America. He gets fired for his his past season. Bit of a hothead. He's been you know with this game for a long time. I think he played the game at one point. Again, all based on a true story. And he's like, hey, no one, no one's hi- no one wants to hire you from the from the uh, from the American Football League, whatever it's called. And he gets sent to American Samoa because like only thing that wants him is is them because they they're no need for a new coach. Um, so it's kind of like him going to American Samoa. I think this is back in 2011. I want to say. And it's kind of like him kind of just like, you know, trying to like revive the team and trying to kind of just like get him up to shape, even though he, he doesn't want to be there. He hates being there. He wants to be back in America. He wants to be you know coaching real soccer. It's kind of his story and kind of his, kind of his story about the team and the island and the other you know, island and kind of just like the people and the culture. Um, so again, I was looking for this one, but I think, I think it premiered at TIFF and people were saying like, this is a Taika letdown. And I was like, oh, I think a lot of people could still kind of like just kind of bad taste of um, a bad taste of uh, Thor, Love and Thunder in their mouth still. So I was like, OK, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, I uh, I saw it and there was yeah no one in the theater. And I was like, it's not a good sign. I think it, I think it came out. Well, it came out also during the weekend, the Hunger, Ga- Hunger Games, which is not the smartest move on their end. But I get it. Trump put it out during, you know, kind of quote unquote Oscar season. Um, and I walked in, I like just myself. And I remember the week after it came out, like the showtimes is like quickly like cut in half. Like there was like no showtimes for it. Good luck finding a theater for it. And it's a quote unquote Fox searchlight movie under the Disney banner now, uh, you know, putting it out. And I was like, wow, this movie tanked at the box office and their showtimes got like just yanked in half. Uh, so I was like, oh, uh, all right. And I, yeah, so I still want to support the theatrical movie. I want to support it. It's not Tiger's best movie. It's not. I think this is might be, I would put it at the same level as Thor Ragnarok for me in a way of like, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe a bit above Thor Ragnarok, but it's still enjoyable at times. I don't think it's as sharp or as quitty, as clever as Jojo Rabbit. Um, definitely better than his Thor movies, personally speaking. Uh, well, I think, I think I think I like Thor Love and Thunder a bit more than this movie. Uh, it's it's not his best movie, but to me, the real MVP of this movie is the sense of community and the culture about about people American Samoa and how just like how positive they are, how welcoming they are, how they love they love their culture, they love their land, they love like soccer, they love just being alive. And I thought that was very kind of like inspiring and very, very kind of affectionate, kind of remind a bit of Ted Lasso in a way of like hey, being kind, you know, spreading positivity. You know, even though we suck, we we just love our life. You know, we love we love we love being. People of American Samoa, I thought it was very good. I thought it was very beautiful. I was very kind of like cathartic at times, um, and I do do love the sense of community and culture that's movie that he kind of captures in this in this in this film. Uh, I love that, except for Michael Fassbender and Will Arnett and um, oh my gosh, um, I'm blanking her name. Elizabeth Moss, I want to say, you know, Handmaid's Tale, um, Elizabeth, um, Invisible Man. Uh, it's a very um, it's a very, it's a very unknown cast, and I love seeing when filmmakers use not so not top tier or not like you know, a list celebrity. I like seeing people I don't know or recognize. Kind of like, oh, cool! It feels more authentic. It feels more real. Um, and I do love that Taika casted really an 
unreally unknown cast for most of the parts in American Samoa and some of his kind of like other counterparts. Um, get more authentic. I love seeing new talent. I love seeing new talent kind of like on the rise, you know, kind of giving them a chance to kind of like show them as actors and their performers, stuff like that. And I guess felt, you felt the more of the spirit and heart of the movie thanks to that casting from Taika. Uh, I, to me, the person that really stole this movie from me, stole the show, I thought was phenomenal, is Oscar uh, Kitely. I'm saying his name right. Uh, he had me in tears. I thought the movie was fu- okay, sort of funny at times, but oh my gosh, he he plays the character of um, Tavito, who's kind of like the head of the American Samoa football. He's like, he's like, like owner. He's the owner of the team. He's like the main guy in the island. He had me in tears, and I just loved. It's kind of like he was very kind of like chip cheeriness of it all, everything. Like he's like. He works in the store. He works in this place. He works at the restaurant. He works as a cameraman. Like, he has so many jobs. And he says in the movie, like, everyone on the island has multiple jobs, whether you're working at the store, car rental, whatever, airport, everything. But he just, he's so, he's so cute. And he's so just kind of like, this, but he's so high, high positive. And it reminded me a lot of Ted Lasso in a, in a way of just like, this very positive, despite them being like the, the worst team ever the, and the, the, you know, just laughed on, whatever. You just loved him. You could root for him because he just, he loved his life. He loved his family, loved his son, he loved his wife. Um, and the way, he's, the way, the way that people just kind of just like walk all over him, but it's like, he's just a good dude. He's a very genuine dude. Um, I love the spirit, love, love the whole personality. I, I, I love how, how much he loved his life. And, you know, I think that his positivity was very kind of infectious on Michael Fassbender's character um, and a lot on the island because he had a really genuine good heart. I think Tyke is very good at kind of showing people that have good nature and good heart and very quirky, to, you know, obviously. But yeah, he, to me, he stole the, he stole the movie. He, to me, like whenever he was on, he cracked me up, you know, his voice. It, it just, it was very, it just very, it was very, very heartwarming. I think that he outshines literally everyone else in the movie. From the supporting cast to Fast Bender to Will Arnett and Elizabeth Moss, everyone. It just you could tell Taika was really kind of like he 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 wrote this character for this guy in mind, and the way he plays it is it's it's perfection. I think that's probably the, the best part of the movie, if you ask me. And you know, like I said, I this definitely is the weakest fa- of Taika's filmographies. I'm getting to my kind of like not so good things about this movie. I think it was definitely kind of a bit of a disappointment. Um, it just doesn't feel as clever as other films. I don't think he balances the tone of serious and funny the way the way he mastered it in Jojo Rabbit. Um, I, to me, it felt very lazy at times too. I was like, you're an, you know, he's an Oscar-winning writer. He's put in a lot of great independent stuff before his days of Thor. Great TV uh, producer and writer. It just it felt very lazy. It felt like this Tiger was kind of just doing this for like the paycheck. I'm like, what? I'll do a paycheck with me about American Samoa. I'm going to do it because I like, like the story, and that's it. He, it didn't felt like he was putting his heart into it. I thought it was kind of just kind of, kind of a one-off for him. Like, yeah, I won an Oscar and a few four movies. I'll just want a passion project. But I didn't really feel the passion behind it. And I was like, you can tell a lot of movies, like A Star is Born with, um, you know, Bradley Cooper. He wrote, directed, and starred in that movie. You can feel the passion. Jordan Peele, Get Out. You can feel the passion. You know, there's a lot of filmmakers that have a good job. Uh, Greta Gerwig, I think, with Lady Bird and Barbie. You can feel the passion behind the movie, and this to me kind of felt like, okay, look at me. I have, I have my, I have my accolades now. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a war, or household name now. I'm Taika Waititi. It didn't feel the same kind of like, you know, same level of, you know, confidence or, you know, um, just or like top tier, um, 
directing efforts. I thought it was very kind of very stepped down for him as a filmmaker. You know, and I'm also very noticed a lot of other movies too. It was very all over the place in terms of what it wants to be. Like I couldn't quite tell what the tone wanted to be. Like there were some great emotional elements that are either taken away for a quick joke or just rushed without given the proper time for for us to sit with. Or the jokes, the jokes didn't land. I feel like I was laugh, I thought I was back in Thor Ragnar again. The jokes weren't, the jokes were not landing for me. And I was like, man, I laughed a lot more in Thor: Love and Thunder. I laughed a lot more in Jojo Rabbit. And the jokes, it was just made me just me in the theater. And I was like, man, like some of the funniest parts are in the trailer. I was like, oh man. But like I said, I laughed the most at at Oscar uh, Kitely. I thought he was hilarious because like I knew who he was as an actor. And I liked his, you know, his performance. But other than that, I didn't laugh at Michael Fassbender's stuff. I only laugh at anyone else's stuff. Um, I, I mean, gosh, Will Arnett to me is annoying the hell out of me in terms of. I, I used to be a Will Arnett fan. He's playing the same schmucky role in every movie now. I, I loved him as uh, Job in Rest of Development. But man, dude, get a new act, please, because after a while, you're playing the same old, same old person. They're very schmucky, kind of like sarcastic, kind of like you know, bimbo, and it just it wasn't funny. So it just, I don't know what went wrong here. It just, the jokes didn't land. And then the jokes weren't as funny. It wasn't the sharpest, clever way of humor from Taika. And, you know, I don't know if Taika was the right guy to make a sports movie because, you don't get me wrong, I probably couldn't do it. I don't, it's, it's hard to make a good sports movie. You know, I think, you know, Ryan Kugler has mastered it with Creed. Michael Jordan did a good job with Creed 3. Stallone has done it before. I think Ben Miller did, Bennett Miller did a great job with Moneyball. It... I don't think he was the right guy to make a sports movie or it could have been more focused on the characters than the soccer itself. It just, I just kind of just felt like it just felt like this wasn't his groove or rhythm um, or make have spent more time with it. But it didn't feel like he knew how to like capture the level of fo- uh, football and soccer. And even like the soccer scenes are very are shot really weird. They're very edited like, to a really weird edits. It just didn't do anything. And I was like, all right, this is. Feels like a very kind of like a like a student film at times. Uh, it, it just felt rushed. The movie, to me, the biggest takeaway from the movie is that it just felt rushed. A lot of it, it just. It, I mean, where we start, where we start up to where we end off of this movie. There was no like, no big payoff. It didn't feel some things were kind of earned. It just didn't feel like good enough time with the characters, um, or the team, or the overall arcs. It just felt so like quick, or it wasn't like fully developed. And I was like, I thought I was like, was this kind of just like a. A, a thing that he wanted to do, just want to do it, or like, where was the love? Like, where was the love I saw in, you know, in Jojo Rabbit or his other movies? Like, where was that? And it was, to me, I think it was very apparent that it was missing from this, um, which is disappointing. Again, I think he's a very talented, you know, individual. I think he's very funny. I think he's very goofy. I think he has a lot of a, a lot of good um, um, storytelling in him. But to me, this was a big, big uh, misstep. Um, yeah, I said, I, I think it, it felt very uneven in terms of storytelling. Like I said, started off strong. But it's not a long, it's an hour 45, hour 50. It just kind of just falls off right after the beginning. You're just like, okay, where are we going with this? You know, like, okay. Um, oh, yeah, speaking of score, you know, I again, I'm, I'm noticing a lot more score the past couple of years. And Michael Giacchino, who's one of my favorite composers, oh, my gosh, from Star Trek to um, Up to Super 8 to the recent Spider-Man trilogy with Tom Holland, uh, the Batman, Jojo Rabbit, El Royale, uh, the list goes on and on. This, at the end, of the day, it was composed by Michael Giacchino, and I was like, no way. And I'm like, really? Because I'm pretty good at kind of like picking up certain scores, whether it's Hans Zimmer or Luke uh, Gorenson, like 
you know, I, I'm starting to know more scores, kind of recognize kind of their, this Alan Silvestri, obviously. But I was like, this was him? It, it just felt like like leftovers from another film, like Jojo Rabbit or Thor, or it felt like a very kind of generic royalty-free music that film that you know that film students use for their short films. And I was like, wow, this score was just like no, there was no heart, there was no kind of like love for it. And I was like, man, another another collaborators, but I was like, man, this was a big letdown. Um, another thing too, like I said, you know, I much about you know chemistry between you know characters a lot. There's no chemistry between Michael Fassbender and the team. Uh, I mean. And I mean, there's a there's a lot there's a huge lack. I mean, there's a there's a huge huge lack. He's playing the coach, and it doesn't even feel like he's connecting with the players or like even with the scenes and the actors feel not natural. It just feels like everyone didn't know what direction that they were given to understand the scene or their characters. You're just like, okay, I guess it's fish out of water story, but like make me believe you want to be here at the end, or make me believe you miss your arc. I didn't feel that at all, and I was like, I think it was miscast on everyone's part. Again, I said, you heard me rave about Fastbender and the, my my review for The Killer. But this time around, I was like, where's the love? Like, where's, like, where's that chemistry between, you know, him and his team? Like, how are you going to command this team? How are you going to take charge? You're the leader of this team. You're the leader of this of the ship. How are you going to, like, bring us to the promised land? Didn't feel it. It just felt, like, so, like, out of left field. It didn't feel natural. It just felt so forced. And I'm like, man, like... What I think it's kind of like a blame on Taika. I was like, dude, where's your direction with your characters? So I just don't think even the, when 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 they're talking to him as the coach, it just felt like they were it's like it's like rehe- watching kind of rehearsal on tape. Like where was like the rehearsal for the scene? And where was like on the take three, take four? It felt to honestly, this movie kind of felt like this is a one this is a one big take. It's like all one take. There was no no rehearsal time. There was no time given to you know know your scenes and know your lines. It just felt this like boom, this is it. All right, it is, like, there was no, like, it felt like a very first draft of a script. <laughs> like, there was no given time for rewrites or other stuff. It just felt like, you know what, this is it. We're going with, here it is. And I'm like, man, there should have been taking more time to kind of, like, develop these characters, let the actors kind of sit with them, know the type of, how do you feel about this? There was, I didn't feel any of that. And I was like, man, this is a huge disappointment. Um, and Michael Fassbender and Elizabeth Moss, who play Mary but Separated, and I mean, it's all respect. They had zero chemistry. Ze- it felt so out of place. Their storyline felt so out of place. And when they're on screen together, there is no chemistry. It was cringe. It was like watching kind of a screen test of actors trying to like try audition for their roles. There was zero screen test. There was zero chemistry. And I was like, wow, what's go- it miscast to a T? And whenever they were on, it felt cringe. I was like, they're seeing them on the beach. And I was like, they were married? They felt like they, it just felt so odd and felt out of place where I was like, oh my gosh. I said too. To me, Will Arnett, again, he was he was addition to Army Hammer. I would have gotten someone else to replace Army Hammer. I would have gotten someone maybe unknown or someone just different because man, he feels totally crowbarred in, not needed at all. Again, the typical annoying thing, like I said, it just it was all miscasted and his storyline did not fit the movie whatsoever. It was we kind of felt like multiple things getting put in just because like, hey, well, it's kinda of, this is funny, I think, let's put it in. And there was just no need for it. There was no need for it. Whenever he was on, I groaned. I was like, oh eyes roll, like it's it was annoying. His 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 dialogue was bad, his delivery was bad. I'm just like, oh, so miscast to a T. Um on on this. I'm noticing a lot more editing in movies too. As I'm watching more stuff, where you know, critic stuff. It just the editing this movie, editing in this movie was all over the place. 
there's not a lot of time to breathe, and then scene just roll on to the next. Nothing really kind of feels earned or kind of rewarded. Taika and his editing team just kind of qu- quickly goes through certain scenes, and honestly, it doesn't feel polished or edited properly. Like it was like a rough cut of a film that they didn't test or making or reshoots for, and they were kind of just like, "Oh, this is it. We're good." Like the studio was like, "Okay, whatever you got, give it to us. It is what it is." Like there was, I didn't feel like there was no like there was no time to polish this or re-edit or restructure some things. It just felt just so sloppy. It felt sloppy at times, and I, for me, as someone again who's hit or miss with Taika. I've seen him do some amazing stuff like Jojo Rabbit or what we do in the shadows, Hunt for the Wilder People, even stuff with Thor Ragnarok and the Thunder, the Thunder. Those were better edited movies personally. And I think this time around, he just, the, there was no care or I think maybe, maybe he was too busy that he didn't, you know, focus too much time on this, maybe focus too much time on his other projects or was doing stuff on Thor. This didn't feel like he spent his enough, he spent the time or effort this time around like he did the other few movies. I get it, it's a very lower budget movie compared to Thor and all those movies, but again, it was kind of similar vein of like budget probably for Jojo Rabbit, but man, it just felt so sloppy and choppy and there was no love. There was no love, but you know what? I can't blame too much. I think, you know, as a filmmaker, you have some ups, you have some downs, but to me, I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of hurt him as a filmmaker of like people kind of like checking out with him. I think it's kind of helped them feel like, yeah, I'm kind of tight with TT'd out for now. Which is the same. I think he he's a lot to say as a filmmaker, as an actor, as a as a storyteller, as a creative. And I do, I do think that maybe he needs to just you know take a step take a step back, breathe, take some time, and then find your next project. Probably not MCU related or Thor related or you know maybe maybe another original film you can do again. But I think he needs some time to kind of just like decompress as a filmmaker. Give the fans some time to kind of miss him. I know. I think there's a lot of oversaturation of him. I think after Thor, but he was everywhere. These movies, this show, this movie, everything. I see a lot with you know people like Melissa McCarthy. I think saw a lot Kevin Hart at times. I think with Tiffany Haddish. Like there's a lot of people. There's a lot. Of, Zach Galifianakis, for example. Um, when when you're when you hit, you, when you hit a huge high, you're 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 mass marketed to like everybody in every movie. This movie, this show, this project. Gotta take some time. Pick your projects wisely, decompress, and then go from there. You gotta have the time for the audiences to miss you. Like, oh yeah, that's right. I've seen him a while. Good to see him back in a, in a show or a movie. I think Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell had the same thing too. It was too much of Will Ferrell, too much of Adam Sandler. You gotta take some time to kind of like, hey, make some better choices. You know, be in every part of every project. Take some time. Pick your projects wisely next time and decompress. That's how I see it. That's what I would do. But again, I think. When he comes back, or his next project might be a big hit. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next, despite this movie kind of being a, a miss for me. But I would give this... Man. Oh, my God. Also, quick note. Michael Fassbender's beard looks so... It's a fake beard, and it looks terrible. It looks so bad. The whole time I was like, get this beard off screen, please. This is, looks... It looks... It looks horrific. It looks awful. Little quick little tangent. Um, yeah, I will give this, honestly, maybe... Uh, uh, four point. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a five out of ten. I think there's things to be like this movie, like Oscar Kitely or Keely. I'm probably butchering his name. He's the one to watch for sure. Uh, the scenes are very beautiful. The way shot in American Samoa, like it's 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 beautifully shot. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it just doesn't like do anything. And you know, I'm I'm not surprised that it's getting pulled so quickly out of theaters uh, the way it's doing right now. 
So yeah, I give it a five out of ten. Definitely a bit of a disappointment. Again, I was hyped for the trailers, but then I heard things out of TIFF and all the film festivals that this was a big letdown, and I was like, oh, that's a shame. So yeah, five out of ten. Not one I would definitely recommend or watch at home. Watch it on Hulu when it's on Hulu. It's a Fox Disney movie. We'll probably on Hulu soon enough. So watch it on there, but I won't. I wouldn't be too enthusiastic to watch it so quickly. So. Yeah, guys, so that's my, you know, two reviews on this review roundup. Like I said, I got a lot more in the pipeline for you guys. Uh, again, we saw a dream scenario last night. I that to put out on the channel, on the podcast page. Uh, again, looking for seeing uh, Maestro. Again, I love Bradley Cooper so much, as you already know. Looking forward to reviewing that. And I got a review. Oh, find some time to see uh, Kills of the Flower Moon, finally. I mean, it's been out for a couple months. I've been busy, and I kind of left theaters pretty quickly, too. So, eventually I know that Nick and I definitely will see Aquaman before the year ends and put that out there as well but you know and then 2024 is around the corner guys we are so close to a new year new movies we've got Dune 2 coming out we got a lot of things coming out we got uh, Bong Joon-ho's new movie coming out it's Fallout to Parasite we got Kung Fu Panda 4 uh, and my Shyamalan we got so much stuff we got the Fall Guy remake coming out with Ryan Gosling we have a lot to catch up on we lots to you know anticipate this year I know like a lot of trailers today for like Beverly Hills Cop 4, which I'm kind of skeptical about too. You know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, but I hope you guys, hope you guys enjoyed this review roundup episode this week. Like I said we'll have a full we'll have a full episode of camp to accompany this episode this week with me and the boys. Looking forward to being kind of reuniting back on air with you all. But as always, guys, hope to hear from you soon. And as always, we'll see you at the movies. Take care. <laughs>